Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. So we've been talking on, on Wednesday nights about judging the supernatural. And uh, the church is a supernatural church. This is not a natural organization that we have joined and uh, pay our dues to and meet, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, advance a particular natural agenda. The church is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there was ever a miracle worker, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? And so the church is, uh, because we are, we're the body of Christ, we're God's people, uh, the supernatural should be something that we are familiar with. It should be something that is in frequent manifestation. And, uh, of course, when we talk about the supernatural, we're not talking about what the world talks about when it perhaps might say the supernatural. To the world, you know, the supernatural is, uh, you know, some kind of a horror film or something, you know, where there's some kind of, you know, crazy knockings in the middle of the night and that sort of thing. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about uh, spooky natural. We're talking about supernatural. And supernatural just means beyond the natural. And uh, thank God we're not limited to the natural realm. Glory to God. We serve a supernatural God. He's not limited to the natural world. His solutions, his power is not dictated by the natural. Amen. And so we can expect to have God show up in our lives. But at the same time, these things have to be judged because there are a lot of flaky things that happen. And, and, and are passed off as being genuine when they're not. Amen. And uh, so I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Now, last week I started talking, we had started talking about uh, apostles. And, uh, and you know, we, we pointed out that there are apostles in the body of Christ, of course, today. There are no, and, and there are prophets. Last week we talked about prophets. There are both apostles and prophets in the body of Christ. Now, when I was, when I first got back into fellowship with the Lord, when actually when I was young growing up in church, I never heard about apostles and prophets. I ever, no one ever talked about somebody being, you know, a current day apostle or prophet. And, uh, and then when I got back into fellowship with the Lord as a young man, started going back to church again, uh, and really endeavored, you know, was really hungry for the things of God. Uh, I was exposed to the ministry of Kenneth Hagin, uh, who was a, a bona fide New Testament prophet. And, and when you would uh, bring that up, it immediately brought scorn. People looked down their nose. They kind of blew you off. Uh, prophet, you know, that's... Uh, but, you know, in Ephesians, it says that when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, from some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to maturity to sum it up. Well, the church hasn't reached maturity. Uh, sometimes the church, you, you think the church is digressing and going back a lot faster than it's going forward in terms of maturity. So because there's, the church still needs to be brought to maturity, we still need all of these ministry gifts. They've never been, they've never been withdrawn. Uh, when it comes to apostles, we pointed out that they're, they're, the New Testament identifies three classes of apostles. You don't see that terminology, but you see the three classes if you look at the different people who were named apostles. First of all, there were the apostles of the Lamb. You find that in, I think it's the 21st, uh, 22nd chapter, right towards the end of the book of Revelation. talks about the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And when Jesus had ascended into heaven, the first item of business... Uh, but even before they were, they were told to wait in Jer Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit was poured out. But in that, in that 10 day period, the first thing they did is they dealt with the fact that they had lost one of the apostles. Judas, of course, denied the Lord. And, uh, so they had to find someone else to take his place, his place. And the requirement is it had to be somebody that was with them from the beginning, from the baptism when G Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan until the time that he ascended into heaven. They had to be an eyewitness of his ministry. So those are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They're, well, actually, there's four classifications because Jesus is an apostle. Well, he obviously stands in a class all by himself. 
And then there's the 12 apostles of the lambs. Well, nobody can be an apostle of the lamb today because there's not anybody living that was an eyewitness, a natural eyewitness to the ministry of the Lord. So there, there was, there's that classification. Then the Bible in, in the book of Ephesians talks about the fact that in the New Testament and the church is built upon uh, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So what are foundational apostles and prophets? Those were the apostles and prophets who actually gave and wrote the New Testament. They laid the foundation in their writings. God moved upon them just like he did in, in days of old, moved upon holy men. They spoke in the New Testament. They wrote as they were moved on by the Spirit. Well, today the foundation has been laid. The New Testament is complete. There, there are no other foundational apostles and prophets. There's nobody in that category or in that class that has the authority to add to Scripture. If you find somebody like that, run as fast as you can because it's not of God, amen? And so, but there were other uh, prophets and, and apostles in the New Testament. Uh, as far as prophets go, go with me over to uh, the book of Acts. So I'd find it real quick. I think it might be the 11th chapter. No, it's the 15th chapter. In the 15th chapter of the book of Acts, we have, you know, the, the uh, Jerusalem council. They met in the 15th chapter of, of, uh, of the book of Acts to discuss uh, uh, whether or not Gentiles were going to be required to, to uh, uh, come under the, under the law, submit to the law. And, uh, and so they, of course, just, you know, met and said, no, that's, that's not what God's doing today. And so they wrote... Uh, let me start in verse 22. It says, then, then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church, this was in Antioch, to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch. Uh, this was in Jerusalem. Uh, and send men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Sicily, uh, Cilicia. Greetings. Since we heard that some who went out from, uh, from us troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us being assembled together with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from, uh, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Now, this reminds me as I read this. Remember last week I was talking about, or maybe the week before I was talking about that prophet that uh, tried to infiltrate our, tra our church way back in the... the, the uh, what, what do you call your name? The McKenzie's. They were there. Y'all were there that night in that, prof, in that house where that prophet was, right? I, I remember you were. Yeah, I don't, I'm not, I don't remember David, but, but you were there. And, uh, you know, one, one thing that I said to him when I said, you're not a prophet, I said, you know, you come here to our, our town, you don't have any recommendation from anybody. No churches know you. Nobody's blessed. And I pointed out to, to the, to the uh, group that was there that night, I said in the New Testament, when people, when ministers travel from place to place, they had letters of recommendation from other churches for other leaders. Well, this is an example of that. They sent along with, of course, everybody knew Barnabas and, and, and Paul, but they also said, we have also sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. So these were men that uh, it said that uh, uh, being assembled together, we, we've sent chosen men to you with our beloved uh, Barnabas and Saul and Paul, who have risked their own lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these people, when, when traveling ministers went out, they went out with letters of, of commendation. They went out with, with credentials. But now if, uh, if you continue in verse 30, it says, so, so when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they in Antioch read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened 
the brethren with many words. Notice that uh, it's not just talking about words of prophecy, but words of preaching, of doctrine, because it talks about uh, the others in verse 24, since we have heard that some went out from us and have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying you must be. So the, the, the words were, were false doctrine in this verse. Well, the words that, uh, that uh, Silas and, and Judas, not Judas Iscariot, different Judas, uh, they, were, they, were, they exhorted and strengthened and encouraged the brethren. And so that's, there, were, there were prophets in the New Testament that weren't foundational uh, uh, prophets. You, you're familiar with the prophet Agabus. He was a prophet that uh, was not foundational. Uh, so that classification of prophets and apostles we still have today. Amen. And we need them. We need the ministry of the apostle and the prophet. However, go with me to Matthew chapter 7. And this is really why uh, I believe the Lord is having me spend time on this. I really didn't intend to when I first started this. But uh, in Matthew 7, verse number 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. He said, beware of false prophets. Well, uh, we, should, we should listen to that. Amen. Go over to the 24th chapter of Matthew. Matthew 24, and look at verse number 10. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Now, this is ta- actually talking about uh, tribulation times. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. It is characteristic of the end times as we get closer and closer to the return of the Lord, we will see more and more false prophets. Yeah, you might as well expect that. Amen. Uh, Go over to Luke chapter 6. Luke 6 and look at verse number 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the prophets. Just because prophet so-and-so has a big following is no indication that he's of God. There are a lot of prophets, so-called, what I, I, I say so-called prophets because I think they're false prophets, in, in the church world today, you don't have to go very far to find it. I remember many, many years, for many years in our church, we were sort of isolated from a lot of the things that floated through the body of Christ because uh, back in the early days, even though there was Christian television, it just seemed like a, people in our church didn't watch much Christian television. I never watched it. I never talked about it. And uh, most people in our church didn't watch Christian television. So the fads and the, and the uh, fad doctrines, you know, that are, you know, kind of questionable and, you know, not balanced, they would kind of float through the body of Christ. In our church, you know, most of the time I never even mentioned them. I, I knew about them because, you know, ministers, we have network parts of, uh, of networks of ministers and we, you know, we, not official networks, but you know what I mean, networking in that sense. You know, we have friends, we talk with one another. And, um, and so we're familiar with these things, but I never mentioned them in the church. And our church just lived on in kind of like ignorant bliss, you know, uh, and we're never bothered by a lot of those things. Today, things have changed. There is so much information out there. There is just so many sources, and, uh, and there are a lot of false prophets, and they have really big followings. And I'm, and I'm teaching these things to protect you. You need to be aware that just because people speak well of them is no, is no sign that they're of God. Amen. For so, he said, did the, the people in, in, in former times, he said, uh, verse 26, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Amen. Turn with me to Second Tim, uh, Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 2. says, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. 
Same thing applies. There's just a lot of falsehood out there. Uh, Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways. Don't be one of them. Amen. Glory to God. And then in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So I just want to make you aware and stir you up, put you on guard. Uh, To be forewarned is to be protected. And uh, these things are serious, and they're a serious problem in the body of Christ right now. So like I said before, and I'm, and I'm going to go over some of the things I said before, not so much as, you know, just kind of refreshing your memory, but to, to uh, reestablish the importance of this. And then I'll, I'll move on to some more material too. Uh, it helps to know the true to identify the false. You have to know that there are true prophets and what are the characteristics of prophets. That will help. Amen. We, know, we need to know this. We need to know the difference between the simple gift of prophecy and the word of wisdom that sometimes comes through prophecy. I, just like most people, because of not wanting to just explain yourself every time you use the term, I very often will, times will use prophecy the way most people do. The sentence might be, you know, uh, so-and-so gave this prophecy or they prophesied. The simple gift of prophecy, and you find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he who prophesies speaks unto men unto edification, exhortation, and comfort. The simple gift of prophecy is inspired utterance. There is no prediction of the future. There's no foretelling anybody's uh, you know, business or, or anything like that. It's just speaking words of, of edification exhortation and comfort. That's what Judas and Silas were doing there in Antioch and they were a great encouragement to the people. Uh, when, when people talk today and, and a lot of times in, in preaching, you know, I'll, I'll say it the same way, I'll refer to prophesying or prophecies. But when you're talking about predictive prophecies, really you need to, to understand that it's really, if it's true, a true operation of the spirit. It's the spiritual gift of the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is a spiritual gift by which the the plan and purpose of God is revealed and it has to do with the future and and tells ahead of time some things that are going to happen. The revelation is actually not the prophecy. The revelation is the gift It comes through the gift of the word of wisdom. It's a manifestation of the word of wisdom, but Oftentimes, it has a vehicle that it arrives in, and sometimes that vehicle is prophecy, and so someone who is actually a prophet, they'll begin to speak revelation, and they'll, and they'll speak by the Spirit, inspire utterance, and we say, well, they were prophesying, well, uh, but not prophesying like, like everybody else does. They weren't just speaking by inspiration. They were actually bringing a word of wisdom. It's sort of like, uh, you know, all of you came to church tonight but you came in a vehicle. Most of us didn't walk to church. We rode to church in a vehicle. Well, we're more conscious of you all being here than we are of your vehicles. But when it comes to prophecy, many times people are more acquainted or more aware or more in awe of the vehicle when they need to be more aware and in awe of the revelation that comes. So there's a difference, amen? So when it comes through to uh, regular uh, simple gift of prophecy. Like I said, there isn't any prediction in that at all. You will find this, that false prophets constantly prophesy. And I, I jumped over here intentionally ahead in my notes because I wanted to re- read those scriptures, but I need to go back and, and catch up before I get to that and, and re-say some things I said last Wednesday night. Uh, go with me to First Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and look at verse number 7. 
He said, for which I, this is, of course, Paul talking about himself. He said, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Turn over to 2 Timothy and, and look at the first chapter and verse number 11. To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now, we, we believe, though the New Testament doesn't explicitly tell us that Paul was a, a, a prophet. Paul never claimed to be a prophet. But based on the revelations that re, he received, we believe, I believe, and many people believe, that he was, in fact, a prophet. But he didn't, he didn't make the claim to be an, a, pro, a prophet. He did make the claim to be an apostle. But notice he said the order he put it in. He said, I was ordained a preacher, then an apostle, and then a teacher. So the, he put his apostolic ministry ahead of his teacher, teaching ministry, but first and foremost, he was a preacher. And so I made this comment that uh, uh, to be a New Testament prophet, one would first and foremost have to be a preacher or a teacher of the word. In other words, he, a, a, a true prophet will have a legitimate pulpit ministry beyond just prophesying. I remember, I've told this story, and, and Brother Wally Redwine, he was a, some of you that have been around a long time, you remember Brother, Brother Wally, he was a wonderful man of God, man full of faith and, and uh, just a precious brother. When he first started coming to our church, he, I think he had just gotten saved. I, I know he didn't have much background when he, the first time he came. I think he came to one service or two, and then he left and went out of town and went to a convention, like a, a big Word of Faith meeting somewhere. And when he came back, uh, the first thing he, he'd said to me when we met, he walked in and he said, oh, I said, hey, you know, how are the meetings? You know, were you believe? Oh, yes, yes, yes. He said, I found out I'm a prophet. <laughs> and, I, and I knew, you know, he was, he was just innocent. He didn't know, you know. And I said, really? I said, that's great. Well, I said, good. I said, where, where, where are you scheduled to preach next? And he said, oh, I'm not preaching anywhere. He said, I'm not a preacher. And I said, well, if you're not a preacher, you couldn't be a, a prophet. Come to find out, he got on the elevator, you know, at the hotel where the meetings were. And when he got on the elevator, somebody got on the elevator with him and told him he was a prophet. That's how that happened. They prophesied to each other, I guess. I don't know. And, uh, and I said, no, no, brother. I said, a, 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 a prophet is one of the ministry offices and they're all pre apostles preach, evangelists preach, pastors and teachers preach, teach. Well, prophets are gonna preach and teach. That's their fundamental uh, function in the body of Christ. And uh, I heard Brother Hagin say this, you know, and he was, he was just a wonderful example of a, of a New Testament prophet balanced in the word, and uh, I heard him say this one time many, many years ago. Uh, he said that, uh, he said prophesying isn't the primary ministry of the New Testament prophet. He said, in fact, prophesying is only a small part of the New Testament prophet's ministry. And when he said that, it struck me as weird. I kind of thought, wait, what? I'm, so prophesying isn't, one, it isn't even the main part. It's, it's only a small. I thought prophets prophesy. Well, as I, as I grew and, and studied a little bit, I, I come to find out that somebody that prophesies all the time, you know what I mean by that. Every time you see them, you hear of them, it's just prophecy. They're not legitimate. They're not. They're not true prophets. A New Testament prophet will be known first of all for his preaching and his teaching. A New Testament prophet will be known first of all for his preaching and his teaching. You think of somebody like Kenneth Hagin or you think of Dr. Ed Dufresne. Brother Dufresne was, was, was not in the same class of teacher that Brother Hagin was in. But if you... I went to Dad Hagen's meetings every chance I could. I went 
you know, I went to Tulsa a couple of times a year, uh, you know, after I got out of Bible uh, school. And then other times when he was in anywhere in the Southeast, you know, I'd try to get into his meetings. And then when he started having uh, Holy Ghost meetings, I went to a lot of those meetings. And I can tell you that 90% or 95% of the time, he wasn't moving in the spirit at all. He wasn't prophesying, speaking in tongues, interpreting. He was teaching the word of God. Now, we all looked forward. All of us young ministers, you know, we looked forward to him moving, you know, in, into, that, into that office of, of prophet and begin to minister in that realm. We always looked forward to that because it happened often enough and it was so thrilling and so awesome when it happened. You just sit back sometimes spellbound by the, by the depth and by the, the grace that he, that he operated in and, and proficiency in that office. And it was just so wonderful. And so we loved it. But we also got most of our blessing from him from his teaching. You go online, you see video after video after video. Now, there are a, a pe- few people today that still like to put up some of the source, sort of spectacular meetings Brother Hagen had, particularly the laughing services, and it brings a lot of ridicule, you know. But if you, if you actually search out his ministry, you'll find out that it was teaching, 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 teaching. That's really what he was known for. In fact, he got into trouble uh, for putting his teaching ministry ahead of his preaching ministry. He uh, tripped one, one night in a church service and jump, tried to jump up on the platform and he fell and, and, and broke or didn't break his arm but knocked it out of, out of joint. And the Lord appeared to him the next day in the hospital and said, this happened to you because you got out of my perfect will. He said, you put your teaching ministry ahead of your prophesying me uh, or your prophet's office. And the, Brother Hagin said the reason he did that, there was three reasons. Number one, I think there were, there were three. He said, number one, he said uh, he saw the need for teaching in the church. And I guess there are four reasons. Number two, he liked to teach. Number three, pastors encouraged him to teach. And then number four, there were so many false prophets and so much uh, 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 imbalance and so many people doing things under, under the uh, name of, of prophetic ministry that he didn't want anything to do with it because it was such a, you know, such a, a bad report from it. Well, you can't get out of, out of the will of God. Uh, and so the Lord dealt with him about putting his prophetic ministry first. He then, be, he learned how to teach, but with the prophet's anointing. That's one thing that made the teaching so rich was when he, he would teach, he didn't teach from notes. He would just get up and begin to teach. And a lot of times it was the same simple lesson that he had taught before, but he would get over into explaining things and telling stories. And, 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 and what was he doing? He was teaching by inspiration. It was inspirational teaching, which is the inspiration comes from that prophet's office. So you need to be so you need to be careful and, and aware or beware of so-called prophets who constantly prophesy. You see them on television. Amen. In the Old Testament, like I said last time, there were sometimes they, they had special schools of the prophets. Well, this would be unscriptural today because in the Old Testament, the prophet was the only preaching ministry that existed, so they had to be trained. Today, we have a five-fold ministry, and, and so we need ministerial training. It's balanced and scriptural to go to a place where you get ministerial training because all ministers today, all five-fold ministers, need the same kind of basic training. Uh, when, when the schools of the prophets existed in the Old Testament, it created a, a, a class, sort of an elite class, and not that that was the intention, but that was the result of it. Well, the same thing happens today when prophets and apostles have their, have their official uh, networks and their, and their uh, prophetic, uh, what do they call them, uh, coalitions of prophets and coalitions of apostles. What it does, it, it, it sets that ministry, those ministries out as being uh, higher or separate from the other ministries. And invariably, if you find people that belong to these prophetic networks, apostolic networks and coalitions, invariably those people are in error. 
Well, say amen or say oh me. I'm trying to help you. When it comes to apostles, beware of so-called apostles who are mostly preoccupied with exerting or exercising authority over people and over churches they didn't found. The true New Testament apostle is a very uh, powerful ministry and apostles have a lot of authority in the realm of their own ministry. But they, the New Testament apostles didn't exercise that authority over people to control people. And apostles, the, the false prophets in the body of Christ today, again, invariably, they, they function to dominate and control people. They try to get into churches and dominate and control churches. The apostles in the New Testament, they only had authority in the churches that they raised up, the churches that they founded. Amen. Uh, I want to read to you from Romans 15. I'm going to read some translations. Romans 15. And let's look at verse 20. Well, let's start in verse... Eighteen. For I will, and Paul's talking about himself. He said, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word or deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest another... Lest I, excuse me, lest I should build on another man's foundation. I want to read some other translations uh, of that passage. If you can't find a, another good book to quote, quote yourself. <laughs> I have this in my, in my book. <laughs> the, the New Living Translation of verse 20. I'm really quoting the Bible. New Living Translation of verse 20 says, My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. The New Century Version says, I always want to preach the good news in places where people have never heard of Christ. I do this because I do not want to build on the work that someone else has already started. The uh, Bible in basic English, English says, making it my purpose not to take the good news where Christ was named so that my work might not be resting on that of others. And uh, this, I love the, the author's way translation. It's, it reads, my ambition has been all along to proclaim the glad tidings, not in places where Messiah's name Christ was already known. I am not the man to usurp from my building another workman's foundation. So-called apostles today need to read these translations. So, you know, like I said, you need to beware, beware of apostles today who are mostly preoccupied. And I know, I know some of them personally who claimed if some of our camp that claim to be apostles. And there's one man that I'm thinking of that he, he really has a lot of the signs of, of an apostle. And, and he's a friend. I've known him for many, many years. Actually, he's from the uh, same neck of the woods where Angela and I, where she grew up part of her life and, and, and from the Jacksonville area. And a good man. But a few years ago, he got taken up with, you know, his role as being called a prophet. And he tried to exercise authority over other people that, that weren't under his ministry. And, and it caused a lot of problems in the church and in, in, in that part of the body of Christ. Well, likewise, beware of so-called prophets whose main ministry and is focused on prophesying and predicting the future. Prophet today, again, would, be, would first and foremost be a preacher, a teacher of the word, 
plus be equipped with at least two of the three revelation gifts plus prophecy. Obviously, prophets are going to prophesy. They'll have the gift of prophecy. I noticed in Dad Hagen's meetings that, that Brother Hagen would prophesy a lot of times and he wasn't even prophesying as a prophet. Everything he did sort of was under that, that anointing because it was the higher anointing. But a lot of times there was no prediction in it at all. It was a simple gift of prophecy. But he, he flowed so elegantly in it. It was just delivered so, so wonderfully. A lot of times he would just be preaching and, and he would begin to just speak a word of edification, exhortation, comfort by inspiration of the Spirit and then go back to his main message and, 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 and it was good. Uh, but, his, but that took like a few seconds out of an hour's worth of ministry. So that's what I'm talking about where balance is concerned. So a true New Testament prophet uh, would have the gift of prophecy. He would be first and foremost a preacher, a teacher. And he would have uh, at least two of the three revelation gifts, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and or discerning of spirits. Amen? Have you noticed that a lot of prophets today, a lot of the false prophets who are constantly prophesying, they feel the need to, to prophesy with great boldness. Thus saith the Lord God Almighty. Have you noticed that? You know what I'm talking about. If, you, if, if you've been online and, and watched some of their videos, it's, every, it's not just a flow of the Spirit. They're thinking as they go along. And, and what's happening is they're actually prophesying not by the Spirit of God. They're prophesying out of their own spirits. Spirit beings have a, a presence. You can call it an anointing. I, I prefer to call it a presence. That's the thing that separates people from animals. It's not just what's up here. We are living spirits. And human spirits, even the unsaved, an unsaved man can develop his spirit nature uh, in distinction from his intellect, that's where arts basically spring from. They spring from that. In, you, you hear people in, in the, that are unsaved, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the world of, of men and some of the things they produce, some of the things they write or sing or, or, or paint. You go, how in the world? That's, it's, it's obviously inspiration, well, it's not demonic inspiration. It's, it's the human spirit has inspiration. That's why I say there is a presence or you, might, you could say an anointing upon the human spirit. It's not the Holy Ghost. Well, people who are born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, they've got the Holy Spirit in them. If they're false prophets and they get into that trap of people expecting them to prophesy all the time and they are glad and, and, and eager and willing to go along with it, they begin to prophesy out of their own spirits. And, it's, and it usually comes across as, you know, so it's almost like they're trying to be God. If I can sound like God or at least Charlton Heston, if I can, if I can, if I can have a, you know, Oh, you know, the God of our times is speaking today, saith the Almighty. You know, if you really got to be that demonstrative, you're working something up. I'm just telling you, you're working something up. It's not of God. Well, praise the Lord. Listen to me if you will. Hallelujah. If they do preach... They only preach about the topics of their prophecies. I've noticed that. They've got these prophecies that they've prophesied. And so, I, I mean, I go online and listen to them and you click on them and, and the focus right up. They're, they're in some meeting and they're declaring this big prophecy. And then if you see them on a talk show or something, they're talking and teaching. They'll find some scriptures to back up what they've prophesied. And they're teaching really about the topic that they prophesied about. Well, praise the Lord. This is going over big. <laughs> False prophets' prophecies do not come true. Now, again, I'm using that word prophecy like people use it. Their predictions, their so-called words of wisdom do not come true. Now, there are some reasons why predictive prophecies don't come true. 
Some prophecies don't come true because they were conditional to begin with. Jonah had heard from the Lord and the Lord sent him to to Nineveh to tell them that they were going to be destroyed, that God was going to destroy them. And, uh, you know, he went there and, and, and gave that word to them. Well, they fell on their face and repented. I mean, the whole city turned to God, repented. Well, they weren't destroyed because they changed their ways. So sometimes things that are prophesied may be true or not, but right, but it was in a it was it was something that was conditional, and when the conditions changed, then the the outcome changed. So that's one reason for prophecies not coming true. Another one is just human error. All of us, me, you, and everybody else, we're all human and we can miss it. That's one thing I loved about Dad Hagen. He was always reminded. He said, you know, if, if this doesn't bear with you, witness with your spirit, don't take it because I'm human. I can miss it. He said, I want everybody to raise your hand if you've never missed it before. He said, we'll have, a, we'll have an altar call for liars <laughs> because everybody's missed it. And, uh, and so, you know, that doesn't mean just because somebody misses it occasionally doesn't mean they're a false prophet. But when you have people that prophesy stuff on and on and on, years after years after years, of all kinds of national things and happenings and this is going to, and they don't take place, we need to judge that. Those are false prophets, and, and, and the church needs to stand up and, and call that out and say, that's not of God. Amen. We're, there's two reasons. We're living in the last days, and there are false prophets we know and, we're, and we've been warned about them, and we need to identify them. And secondly, we need to protect the true prophetic office. In 1 Thessalonians, in the fifth chapter, Paul said, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Prove all spiritual things, all prophecy, all spiritual things. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophesying. What do you think was going on? Why do you think he wrote that? You think he wrote that because people are just having, people are just being tremendously blessed by prophecy and, and God was enriching their lives. And he was being edified and exhorted. No, they were despising prophecy and they were quenching the spirit over it. And so that's one reason why we need to be bold enough to point out and identify when people are preaching things that, and, and prophesying things that don't come to pass. Well, amen. amen. I know in the election cycle, there are all these prophets, so-called prophets, prophesying all this stuff. And even after the election, they were prophesying that, well, it doesn't matter you know what happened come March, April, you're going to see. You're going to see it's going to turn around. President Trump is coming back to the White House. They said there are generals, military generals that are working behind the scenes and they're mounting this, uh, this insurrection. They're going to come back and bring Donald Trump back into Washington, D.C. I, I, I had some, some, some friends who fell into this. And Angela and I, you know, we tried to talk to him. said, you know, you don't want that to happen. <laughs> you do not want the military, you do not want a military attempted coup. It will be bloody and it will be over quick. Because the generals, now listen, do I personally believe Donald Trump, the election was stolen from him? I do. You can believe you what you want to. It's not Conspiracy theory, it's based on the information news that I've read. And until somebody shows them an answer and gives an explanation for all of the shenanigans that went on, and if somebody can explain them and say it didn't happen that way, I'm all game to listen. I believe Donald Trump won the election, and I believe that, that I believe the coronavirus was manipulated and used to help overthrow him, and even that wasn't successful. They still had to cheat. That being said, what was done was done. 
And I try to tell people, you, you don't want, you're talking, about a, you're talking about a civil war. You're talking about bloodshed that will, that will go into virtually every neighborhood of this country. No, 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 no. We don't want that. We don't want that. Amen. So these people prophesied all of these things and they're not being held accountable. Big names. And you don't have to search far, very far for them. You need to stay away from prophets. And I'm not talking about an occasional uh, word that they miss, but when they're prophesying great and swelling things like this and they don't come to pass, I, I can't understand how people st- still keep going to their meetings. I don't understand it. But there are thousands of people attend, that attend these things. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. False prophets have a track record of predictions that do not come to pass. For some reason, that doesn't seem to be enough to to move the faithful followers away. Well, praise the Lord. It's true. So let's look at, I wanted to get that out of my system. (laughs) I learned a long time ago, I heard Brother Hagin say it, and I found out it's true. That whenever you minister in series like I do, he said, when, when you've ministered and you think you've covered all your notes, but there's just something on the inside still scratching it, he said, there's something else the Lord wants you to say. It may be the same thing. Maybe he wants you to say it again. Somebody didn't hear it or needs to hear it again. So uh, I've tried to follow that. Uh, so uh, let's turn the page here. Uh, there are some questions we can ask about spiritual things getting off of apostles and prophets in particular, but spiritual manifestations in general, whether they are dreams, visions, uh, you know, uh, whatever they might be, spiritual manifestations. Uh, There are some questions that need to be asked to determine if these things are valid. And the first question is, how was the experience received? How the supernatural manifestation was received will usually give it away. Every dream, vision, revelation, spiritual uh, manifestation must be tested. Yours and mine and everybody's. Amen. I think I got into the edge of this last week. There, There are several possible sources for these things. And one source is God. A dream or a vision or a revelation of some type could come from God. Or it could come from your own imagination. Or it could be the result of deceiving spirits. And because that's true, we need to be very careful. So when someone receives uh, one of these things, the question is, how was the experience received? Was the recipient trying or expecting are looking for a supernatural experience? That's a telling thing. Was the, was the person who received the, the spiritual manifestation, was he trying or expecting or looking for a supernatural experience? This is unscriptural and easily leads to error. It opens the door to the devil. Now go with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We'll look at a passage that that people sometimes will use to justify these things. In Acts chapter 2, in verse number 16, or, or Peter said, This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And so a lot of times people say, well, according to this, dreams and visions should be common because he said that uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy. We're all told, you know, for you can all prophesy one by one. Isn't that right? You remember reading that? 1 Corinthians 14. Then it stands to, to reason that we should, young men and old men should have, be having visions and dreams. It should be commonplace. 
Well, uh, like I've said many times, New Testament doctrine has to be taught both by precept and example. You have to let the Bible uh, uh, illustrate something in order to show what it's talking about. For instance, where it says in Mark chapter 16 that they will take up serpents. Well, there are people in, in, in the church world who believe that, that you, we're, we are then instructed that we have the right to go out and, and intentionally take up a, a deadly viper, a deadly snake as a, as a sign of God's presence. Well, if you, if you didn't know any better, if you, were, if you were of that mindset, people in those groups, that makes sense to them. And they use that scripture, that one scripture, you should take up serpents. And then over in Luke, he said, you know, you'll tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And so they take that, that we have the right then, this is one of the signs, just like we have the right to lay hands on the sick. We have the right to speak with other tongues. Well, we have the right to take up serpents. The problem is, if you look at examples of people speaking in tongues, and you, you see a lot of it in the New Testament. You see the example of people laying hands on the sick. You see, you see people doing that frequently in the, in the acts of the apostles. It was a common thing. Picking up serpents, we see one example, and it was, you know what happened there. It wasn't intentional. It was something that, uh, that, that happened accidentally. Paul wasn't trying to pick up a serpent. He didn't know there was a serpent there. The serpent was hiding in the sticks that he picked up and and fastened onto his hand. So it was a sign to the people, all right, but it wasn't something that he was looking for or expected. The same thing is true where dreams and visions are concerned. The New Testament shows that tongues and prophesying was commonly experienced and could be expected. But like tongues of fire, dreams and visions were not commonly experienced and so they should not be ordinarily expected. I said they they were not commonly experienced and so if someone is in the habit of expecting for God, I'm talking, everybody has dreams. I think I had a show of hands last week. Everybody has dreams. But to expect that God is speaking to you and to expect that to happen in, with any regularity or any degree of frequency is error. Amen. You can, we, we don't have time to look at all of these tonight, but I went through and I did a word search for every time the word dream, dreams, or vision was used in the New Testament. And I found all of them. We have Zacharias, you know, before Jesus was born. And he was in the, in the temple doing his, his priestly service and an angel appeared to him. And whenever he came out, the pe- he, he motioned to the people because he, he was in, in uh, uh, doubt. He doubted what the angel said. And so he, he was struck mute to keep him from talking doubt and unbelief for the next nine months. And so he came out, he couldn't speak, and the people, they, they perceived that he had seen a vision. In every, every one of these cases, without exception, this was an unexpected event. They didn't initiate it on our, on them, on their, by themselves. It was divinely initiated. God did it. They weren't expecting it, and it was for a special purpose. It wasn't just a generalized thing. Zacharias, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Gabriel appeared to her. She saw him. Anytime, anytime someone sees an angel, or sees over in the realm of the spirit, that is a form of a vision. Uh, Joseph was warned three different times. I think it was three different times in, in a vision. No, it was four different times. He was warned in a vision to, to, to take baby Jesus and, and, and flee from Herod. And then when he was going to come back, he was told, no, don't do, go this way, go that way. So that's not that. Protecting the Lord Jesus from being murdered isn't your common ordinary thing. That was a very special purpose. All of these had to do with the advancement of the gospel and they were all uh, 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 
things that were critical for the advance. They were turning points, very important things. The 12 disciples went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw Jesus transfigured. On the way down, he told them, do not tell the vision to anyone until, you know, of course, after he had been raised from the dead. So that was a vision. That, again, had to do with the gospel. Jesus was, was talking to them and, and, and they were taking up, taken up with the vision, just kind of overwhelmed with the glory. And, and the Lord said, uh, this is my servant, listen to him. So they saw Pilate's wife. Now this is the only one that we don't really have much information of. When uh, Pilate had Jesus in front of him and was gonna bring him out before the people, Pilate's wife sent word to him and said, I have, she said, do not have anything to do with this holy man for I have suffered many things uh, concerning him in a vision. Well, again, it was about the Lord Jesus Christ and about his trial. <laughs> it wasn't about going to the 7-Eleven. Whether you go in this car or that car. The women at the tomb saw the angels. They saw a vision of the angels. But it was at the tomb of Christ, not at the get-go or at the Safeway store. Paul, he had, uh, well, before we talk about it, because we'll read some of this, Ananias saw in a vision. The Lord appeared to him and said, go and look for, for Saul. He's at such and such a place. That was an important event. We out of time? Okay. Cornelius saw in a vision. Peter saw in a vision two different times. John wrote the book of Revelation because he saw into the spirit. None of these people, in fact, I'll just close with this. We didn't get to Paul's, but you know all about Paul's visions. They were all having to do with the gospel, preaching the gospel, advancing the gospel. Amen. They were going to go into one area and in the nighttime, a man from Macedonia appeared to them, you know, begging them to come, you know, to their, his way. And so that as soon as they uh, uh, awoke, you know, from that dream or vision, I have to go back and read the particular dialogue. It said, we instantly knew, all of us knew the Lord's calling us over there. If you have to have somebody interpret what these dreams are, they're, they're not of God. I, 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 you just need to be aware of that. Peter, uh, I don't know what I was going to say about him. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I did. I do know. It says that when Peter went up on the, on the rooftop, he fell into a trance. I found out, I looked up that word fell, and it's used of something that happens unexpectedly and without any preparation. When someone, it's used of someone accidentally falling. You don't, how many of you have ever fallen intentionally? Not very many times. Usually when we fall, we weren't expecting to fall. We weren't, we certainly didn't initiate it. Something else initiated. Isn't that right? That, the use of the word fell there. He fell into a trance is used of things that happen unexpectedly and initiated by something else. So Peter fell, he was getting ready for lunch. He wasn't seeking a, a, a vision. It is scriptural to pray, seek God, be a person of prayer and a person of the word. If you'll do that, you will be supernaturally led by the spirit, but it must always, most always be the inward witness. That's the way he leads us. And that is Supernatural. We need supernatural. But when I talk about supernatural, I'm talking about these, these you know, uh, extraordinary ways that people claim that God's moving. Amen. Let me just finish up. God does not direct our ordinary lives through dreams, visions, angels, anything else like that. He doesn't. Ordinary dreams have no spiritual significance. Again, to be looking for are expecting God to grant you or to lead you by spiritual dreams and visions is unscriptural. It will make you susceptible to evil spirits, religious spirits, and borders on occultism. It does. Go, go read Deuteronomy 18, 
verses 9 through 14. We don't have time to look at it tonight. God expressly forbade the Israelites from trying to look into the spirit world. That's really what's behind people who are constantly claiming uh, visions or dreams uh, trying to assign spiritual significance to this. They're, they're, they're probing. They're probing, poking, probing the, the spirit world. The children of Israel were, were expressly forbidden uh, for doing that. Amen? So I'll, I'll close again with what I said. We are instructed to be people of prayer and of the Holy Spirit, faithfully seeking God's will through prayer and the word, and that will result in being led by the inward witness of the spirit concerning every detail in life wherein God has a specific plan. I was not led to wear these shoes tonight. They just matched my slacks. I wasn't, there was no, God doesn't lead us in things unless there is a specific plan or purpose for it, for our lives. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you for staying a few, few more extra minutes. Then again, what else are you going to do? glory to God at Impact Family Church it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the word of God we have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching if you are going to be in the north central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.